Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and sharp dresser, Al McDonald. Al, what do you say? How's your week going? It's been going really well. Very busy time of year, but I gotta say I'm looking forward to today's guest because it's someone that we've worked with ourselves for a while. So I'm very yes. excited to have her on. Indeed. And I have had so many good conversations with Elizabeth Lynch, who is joining us today. And Elizabeth has a bachelor's in psychology from Miami University and an executive MBA from Case Western Reserve Weatherhead School of Management. She has focused her career in leadership development and strategic planning. Prior to creating Engaged Leadership Consulting, she was the VP of Leadership Development for one of Northeast Ohio's fastest growing companies. And through her tenure, she helped lead company strategic planning, manage employee development, and employee engagement. She was also a certified accountability strategy and assessment coach from Master Coach University and has been helping executives succeed for over a decade. And that's how we know, Elizabeth, because you have been helping us succeed for some time now. And it has been an absolute game changer adding you to our team. So I don't want to give you too much advertising because I don't want you to be swamped. But uh, absolutely, what a pleasure it's been working with you. So happy we could uh, have you on the podcast. Thank you, Robin. I'm so happy to be here. And I absolutely love working with the two of you. It's been a lot of fun. Well, what I thought we'd do, because this series does well, because we get into backstory about why someone started a company, right? Because there's there's people who are in your shoes and running a company, and it's always interesting to hear that. But there's other people sitting in you know, a cubicle somewhere thinking, geez, I've got this idea. I'm passionate about this. I'd love to start something. So I think it's helpful to, to kind of start at the beginning. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about why you started your company, Engage Leadership Consulting. Absolutely. So I've been in HR for over 15 years. And I spent the first 15 years truly in the corporate America side. As you mentioned in my intro, I worked for a very fast growing company in Northeast Ohio as the VP of leadership development and had a ton of fun with them for a decade, building them from a 34 person company to a hundred person company, really leveraging employee engagement, management development, employee development, focusing on culture. And constantly in my tenure with that organization, other companies kept reaching out to me and saying, how are you doing this? How is this company doing so well? What are you doing? What are your secrets? Can you come teach us? And the more that happened, the more I thought about it, I really wanted to make an impact on a larger scale and take what I did at that organization to as many small to mid-sized businesses as I could. So a little over five years ago, or just about five years ago, I split off from that company and founded Engage Leadership Consulting. I focus on small to mid-sized organizations and my goal is really to show those organizations that if you focus on people, profitability comes. You know, so many small to mid-sized businesses 
people's their last focus because you're you're folks in the day to day, right? You've got numbers to hit, you've got client demands, and people tend to be the last thought. Um, you typically aren't the size of a full time HR and that type of thing. So I work with organizations to show them that. If you have this emphasis, if you bring in great people and you develop them and you create a phenomenal culture, their business is just going to grow even faster. I can attest to the work that you do because I've seen it, right? Because we started at a very basic level and been building ever since. And it's been amazing to see just ideas that we've chatted about and say, here's where I think we can go. And a lot of it is in terms of people development, Mm -hmm. but to see it actually happen in practice and to see, hey, now we're at another level. And, and as we were chatting here after the podcast, we're going to talk about that next level that we're going right. to. But I did want to ask you, because I know my feelings about it, and I think I know Al's feelings about it. It's scary. For us, it was corporate Canada, but for you, it's corporate America. That's a scary leap. I mean, what gave you the confidence to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to put out my own shingle and go out there and, and try to help people. Yeah, great question. It is very scary. I was very fortunate with some incredible mentors. So the CEO of the organization I worked for, I was very transparent with him that this is what I wanted to do. And he helped me figure out how to do it, looked at business plans, gave me great ideas. Then I had other mentors in the business who had done their own type of not same type of company, but started their own company, their strategic advisors and that kind of stuff. And so I learned from them and and leveraged from them and the time was right eventually. And I made the leap. And I think it's that decision, that point right there, you say, okay, do I just do it now and jump? And I had a supporting family who said, yes. You know, my husband said, go ahead, like, let's try it. And I made the jump and it's just been so much fun and pretty much hit the ground running and haven't looked back and been crazy busy ever since. And you get to work for fun people like us too. I do. I do. <laughs> I can also attest it's been great. And it was a little bit of a, a fluke of how we managed to be introduced to one another. And it has been great. Can you talk a little bit? We're probably typical, I'm going to assume, of some of your clients, mm-hmm. kind of a small to mid-sized business. What do you see as the most common area of weakness in business who are looking to improve their their performance? Are there some common themes you see? Absolutely. So My simple answer would be hiring, but it's definitely a way more complicated answer. What I find, and you two probably know this very well, is you get so busy as business owners and all of a sudden you say, okay, you know what? We need to hire. I just need a warm body. And you quickly throw a job description together. You put a post up, you take someone who seems to be good and has a pulse and you bring them on board and you expect them to shine. That doesn't work. I find the data out there is 80% of hires are mishires and it's because people are rushing the entire process. Where I think it is that the biggest weakness happens in that is actually defining what good looks like in the start of the process. A lot of times hiring managers and owners don't take the time to say, okay, what is it that we really need? What are the KPIs we're looking for them to hit? What are the competencies that they need to be amazing at to succeed in this role? And taking the time and investment to scope what good looks like and then using that as the source of data to find the right hire, going slowly through the hiring process and validating that hire to that scorecard to make sure that they have what they need to succeed and then making that hire. CEOs or owners go into interviews, they spend about an hour and they say, yeah, they seem like a good person. Let's hire them without really making those data-driven decisions. And that's truly the biggest mistake I'm seeing. I can tell everyone out there that you've been helpful and not just with the hiring process, but also you mentioned some of the things, that, the competencies that you've been really helpful with us just in terms of defining that for already our existing employees. And I think that's really helped us. Like you said, Robin and Joe and I 
that wasn't our focus. That wasn't the first thing that we thought about when we, when we started the business was, Hey, how are we going to hire? That's not something that we are used to. That's not what we're good at. So we've had to rely on someone else. And luckily (laughs) we've had you lately. So I can definitely relate to everything you just said there. And like you mentioned, coming up with what good looks like isn't just for the hire, right? It does translate into the actual position and holding people accountable to those competencies, those KPIs that are essential to do a good job. And again, we've got to define what good looks like from the start and then take it through from hire to the employee, to performance management, et cetera. Exactly. Well, Elizabeth, I wanted to go back and and share something with you as an entrepreneur, fellow entrepreneur. And I remember... And Al knows this. In the early days, we hit the ground running. Great idea. You have people to talk to initially, and then you know you run out of people initially. And I remember going home thinking, "What am I doing?" And pulling my hair out at, at certain times. And of course, I had a spouse to go home to, and I I didn't want to put any extra burden on them. But I remember feeling the pressure. And then, of course, you know you work through it, and you now you get great clients, and you have fun, and. All of those challenging times to me are so worth it for those moments that you think, wow, I accomplished something or I've, I've really done something for someone else here. And I know I have those personal satisfying moments. Can you maybe share if, if you have some of those that you've had along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of great moments, but there's one that sticks out in my head because it's with a client that I've had from almost the beginning. They're a phenomenal client, about a 50 employee company in the tech industry. And when I joined them, they had been around for about 20 years and they were doing a lot of things great. But like most businesses that size, they've never had HR, they've never had formal hiring, they've never had performance management. The culture was not amazing. There was definitely some negative areas of culture. So there's a bit of a mess there. And I've worked with them for a few years, putting everything I get to do in place, which I love when I get to work with clients and do it all, right? Do scorecards for performance and management, hire great people, focus on employee culture, focus on management development and leadership development. So this company I've worked with really getting to flex the muscles of doing everything. And they're great and responsive. We've learned a lot and we've had a lot of fun together. And one of the things I do over my time with companies is I do employee satisfaction surveys. It's important to use a survey as a measuring stick to see where are we today and are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? You know, what's our culture like? And one of the key metrics I look at in my surveys is called an employee net promoter score, which is a scoring system designed to help employers measure employee satisfaction and loyalty within organizations based on the, a lot of individuals know the net promoter score, which is about customer loyalty. This is the same piece, but internally focusing on employee loyalty. So when I started with the survey for this organization a few years ago, a net promoter score score can go from negative 100 to positive 100. And a good score is in the positives. You want to really see something above zero. This organization was a negative eight, which wasn't surprising given everything going on in their culture. We just did another survey this year, and they're now a positive 53. So they went up 63 points. I've never seen an organization jump in a short period of time that significantly. 
And that's just a data point that proves the fun that we're having in the organization. The organization is really killing it. They're growing like crazy. They have phenomenal retention of great people. We have a really strong leadership team, but it's great to have that data that backs up what we feel internally too, and to see such a great score. And actually just two weeks ago, this company was just named one of Canada's great place to work by the Great Place to Work Institute too. So where they're getting external validation too from all the efforts that we've put in place. And that's really been a success to me because I love to see when all the things get really taken and eaten up and everyone has an appetite for it and we have these kind of results. That must be such an awesome feeling, not just to be subjective, like, hey, the culture seems better around here, but to see the data on it. I mean, that's very rewarding. And I think about our own company and we have six values and the first five are very defined. And the, the last one's a little bit more subjective and, and they all leave. You do the first five, you'll lead to giving the client that wow experience. And as you were speaking there, I was just thinking, well, what about the employees having that wow experience mm-hmm. with our company? And I think that's incredibly important. So I think we'll, we'll chat more about that, but I'm glad you shared that. And obviously what you're doing, you're seeing success. I think I know the company you're talking about and they are doing phenomenally well. And there's certainly, they are role models to follow. Elizabeth, we've been through a lot in the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything. Well, have you seen and can you talk about how the focus on people and performance for your clients has changed in those two years? I mean, the pandemic has changed everything. And I want to start by saying if if companies focus on people haven't changed because the pandemic, they're going to have a really big problem. Employees have done something cool to me because I love remote work and that's proved that they can work remotely. And not only proved it, but employees demand it. They typically don't want to be in an office full time. They want to have a hybrid, if not fully remote environment. And beyond that, they want to have autonomous work, right? They want to have flexibility to pick up their kid in the day. They want to have a work-life balance where they're truly executing, but they have balance to what they do because, oh my gosh, the world is too hard right now. Employers have a phenomenal opportunity to leverage this and attract great talent and give them the tools they need to succeed and get out of their way. But if employers can't harness this and manage their performance remotely, autonomously at the level they need, then employers are going to see a big problem. So what I've seen since the pandemic is really a big focus on how do we make sure that performance management is in place, not just as an accountability tool, but as a tool to empower and get out of the way so our employees can do amazing things from wherever they are. And when companies aren't doing this, they're going to see retention issues and they are. It's a job seekers market. Employees are jumping to find the home they want. So employers need to step up and start really making the modifications. Or if they let them go remote and they don't have this performance management, we have significant performance issues. It's too hard to hide remotely. And that now employers are playing catch up. So I've seen truly like a huge change just in what employees are demanding and employers changing and how they have to just expect and be very clear on what good looks like and the performance there is so employees can hit it and hit it without anything in their way of doing it. It's been quite a while now, but we had Erin Burry, who runs a company in Toronto called Willful. She calls it death tech, which is a term I've never heard before, but it's online wills and and they've done phenomenally well. And recently she did a post about Now, part of the requirement is they've gone fully remote. They moved actually out of the city and they're living in the country. They've got more land now and they've opened it up for their employees saying you can work anywhere, anywhere in Canada. And in some cases, I mean, there's some stuff to look at, obviously, from a tax perspective, but anywhere in the world. And her commentary was 
they've never had so many people applying. So you're so right. I mean, this is what employees are looking for. And I think, let's face it, there are certain employers, you just can't work out of the office. Yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. you're, in, you're right. in the office. But, you know, that flexibility, because I, I've met people that do want to have, you know, I've got the kids at home, I want an office so I can get away and do my work. But having the flexibility to do that, I think it's so important. And, and you're absolutely right. Everyone I talk to right now is struggling with the exception of willful, you know, struggling to find great talent, because as you said, people are demanding this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought the international piece. I was on a phone screen today interviewing a candidate and that individual said, if I can work internationally, I'll take a lot less money. So it's a new selling Interesting, interesting. This, this client allows for international work. Again, they've got to figure it out with their accountants and make sure that they're in the country the right amount of time and stuff. But this client's very flexible to that. And we said, oh, this is a selling point we need to be doing a better job of because if you can work from wherever... You know, we need to be screaming it from the rooftops because we're going to get even more applicants and great candidates coming to do it. Well, Al, if I can work internationally, I'll take the same amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just do it from a beautiful beach. <laughs> Elizabeth, I want to dig in a little bit more to your answer if I can. There's been this ongoing debate, fully remote, hybrid. Again, some offices, some people are saying, well, you know, we need people back in the office. Are there examples that you've seen where maybe people are back into the office and it has been successful or there has been pushback? Like what's your experience been? And the reason I ask, again, lots of different opinions yeah. and even myself and, and ourselves, we've bounced back and forth on this a bit. And at the end of the day, I've heard great arguments or great reasoning for working remote, working as a hybrid, or even in some cases, we need people back in the office. Like there's good reasons for all. Like what is your experience been? So first of all, I do agree there's good reasons for all. I feel strongly, and I talk to a lot of candidates in a week. I do a lot of recruiting for all my clients. So I, I talk to a very large handful of people looking for jobs internationally, all different industries, all different types of positions. And the number one question they ask is, can I work remotely at least some of the time? They're not looking to go in-house. Now, there are some people who they have kids at home that are screaming. They want to go to a place. They like the team camaraderie. But majority of the people that I'm talking to, they want at least a few days a week from home. And I really feel that the desire is so strong out there from employees and they kind of have the upper hands. They've proved they could do it in a time that they had to, that employers, I have seen them lose quite a bit of employees if they're not willing to have that flexibility. I think probably the best argument or reasoning that I heard from someone that I'd never thought of before, they said, you know, in our particular business, I won't mention what it is, we get a lot of learning that goes on just through osmosis. Mm -hmm. And when people are out of the office, we don't get that. And we noticed that when people weren't in the office, as soon as they came back, that started happening again. And that is something mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of before. And when they said that, I thought, yeah, it does make sense. I mean, it's, the, it's not even just the social, you know, typical water cooler talk. It is, I can walk over to somebody's desk and just mm -hmm. ask them a question real quickly. And then we start, you know, uh, bouncing ideas off some, and that's is how some learning happens. For sure. I do a lot of studying of a lot of CEOs out there. And Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, who has since passed, he's a huge believer in what he calls collisions, which is just that, right? The water cooler talk, the running to each other in a day, and the learning that happens as you interact. So much so that when he built Zappos headquarters in Las Vegas, there is one door. It's a huge building, holds thousands of people, but there is one very large entrance that they come in and leave every day. So it forces all the employees to the same path, et cetera. I highly believe 
creating space for collisions and creating space for innovation through conversations is important. And the challenge to employers is to find a way to do it remotely. And I do have clients who've been remote for five, six years. They were before the pandemic. So they've worked through all the rough edges who found the way to make it happen, leveraging technology, creating the type of meetings where we come together and we have those got a minute, let's talk. I'm thinking this, what do you think? It is harder. The easiest thing to do is force people back to the office. I just don't think employees are going to take it and going to stay long-term with the new world they're living in. So my challenge to employers is how do we create that culture and that space leveraging the technology we have to allow for those collisions and that innovation that exists within it. That's got my gears turned. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the short term, what we've tried to do is we, the partners, Miel and Joe, we have a daily huddle together and that's our digital you know, we go for a walk and talk sort of thing. That's because a lot of time we couldn't even come into the office during the pandemic. So that's worked well. And and it's something that I don't think I'd be willing to give up now, even though we only meet for 15 minutes. I feel like it keeps us on track. And then Al and I do it separately with our teams as well. So we're trying to recreate those collisions that we're not having physically, but in the digital space. And I think without doing at least that, I definitely feel we would be losing something and losing those connections. So I think maybe that's not the full answer right now, but certainly that's something for us that in my experiences has helped quite a bit. So Elizabeth, it's that time in the podcast, we've been talking more about facts and business and things like that. And now we're going to lean a little more toward the philosophical side. And it's up to you whether you answer it or not. Sometimes we ask it, sometimes we don't, but Al has a signature question. So if you're up for it, I'll let Al take it away. Go ahead, Al. All right. Excellent. So there's a saying that a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? So I am a huge believer in doing what you love in life and finding what your passion is, like what lights you on fire and how to do that in a workplace, right? How that can translate into your job. I talked a lot about the people focused from a larger scale, but what I actually love to do is coach one-on-one with the employees and the organizations I work with and understand what it is that lights them on fire and help them find that path that they can do that. Because if they get to do what they love every day, they're going to have the greatest life, right? We all have to work. We might as well make money doing what it is we love. And so I love focusing on what's called the ideal self and how to find that and how to unleash that in what you do. And and to me, that's the gift that I bring. And that's the seeds I'm planting in the world. Well, I got to tell you, Elizabeth, we've worked together for a while. I've learned a whole bunch new from you today from having this podcast. This is great. I was about to say, Al, like every conversation I have, she blows my socks off every time. And this is no exception. I'm so glad you agreed to do this, right? Because I know how busy you are and then turning everything off and sitting down for half an hour is tough to do sometimes. So I wanted to say thank you for joining us today and sharing your journey. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Engage Leadership Consulting? Yeah, absolutely. I recommend they check out my website, engagedleadershipconsulting.com. My contact information is on there, a little bit about what I do, and that's definitely the best way to reach me. Okay, awesome. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation as always. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, success leaves clues.